Hello, fellow pod people. Thank you for listening to our most recent episode. And remember, you can follow us on all of your favorite social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at AllBadThingsPod. And you can also go to our website at AllBadThingsPod.com. Please remember to rate and subscribe. It would help us out a lot. And once again, thank you for listening. all bad things. Today's disaster is... What's it going to be? The sinking of the USS Indianapolis. Mm, Okay. I know a little bit about this already. Where do you know about it from or what what information do you... The the first thing that pops into my mind Mm -hmm. is the the Quint scene Mm -hmm. from Jaws. Mm -hmm. uh, When they're... Where are they? Underneath... Down below, Down yeah. Down below, whatever. I, there's an actual term for it, but I can't think of it right <laughs> Shockingly, now. Shockingly, neither yeah. of us are familiar with boat terminology. No, I am, actually. I just can't remember it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, we're not sailors or Navy no. people or anything no, like that. Certainly not. <laughs> um, so that's the first thing that comes to mind. I've never seen, like, a, like a dedicated documentary on it, but mm-hmm. I've seen it pop up in, like, a documentary here and there, like about World War II, stuff like that. I watched the first five minutes of a Nicolas Cage movie called <laughs> Almost Spilt Your Beer <laughs> called USS Indianapolis. It's on Netflix right now. <laughs> the, the title of his next movie might be You Almost Spilt Your Beer. <laughs> or it's on Netflix yeah, right now. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now, starring Nicolas Cage. And I mean they were over dramatizing even in the first five minutes, but they did get a few key things accurate yeah i don't i don't know like about it about it i'm sure this right. the stuff in the the quint scene in jazz right. i'm sure they they take some liberties there probably a little but, yeah. yeah a little bit um i can't testify as to the fact as to whether shark's eyes are dead like a doll's eyes like doll's eyes doll's eyes Dull's around the river i want to go wake up my buddy and let him know it was his watch he just bobbed up and down like one of those little. I don't remember. <laughs> I haven't seen that movie in a long time. There was a point where I we should we're recording this on um, Fourth of July weekend. It'd be a good time to watch it, wouldn't it? It would be. Yes, that takes place Fourth of July weekend, doesn't yes. it? Yes, yes. But um, I at one point I tried to. Uh, that scene's got to be on YouTube. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, but I I tried to memorize it. Okay. I don't know why, but, uh, let's see. Um, oh, that's right. Japanese submarine slammed two torpedoes into our side chief. Was coming back from the island of Tinian to Leyte. Just delivered the bomb, the atom bomb. That's right. That's, that's what I remember that he didn't say bomb. He said bomb, the bomb. Yeah. (laughs) The atom bomb. The atom bomb. But he, a lot of that is not is, far is off. Is that part true? Yeah, it is oh, true. Okay. Well, okay. 
It's embellished truth. It's sure. partial truth. So let's actually let's, let's get into the actual story. How many? Yeah, uh, how many casualties? Okay. So uh, on July thirtieth, nineteen forty-five, just weeks before the end of World War II, right? Because it's yes. sep- early September ninety-five, forty-five. Sorry, nineteen forty-five. Yes, um, was the end of World War II. It was uh, Armistice Day. Is that when the Japanese surrendered? Surrendered. Okay. Yeah, that was the official end. Okay. So, United States Navy cruiser, the USS Indianapolis, United States ship Indianapolis, sank into the Pacific Ocean. One thousand one hundred ninety-six servicemen were on board. So almost twelve hundred. Three hundred seventeen survived, leaving cool. eight hundred seventy-nine dead. Yeah, that's a lot. This is still the single greatest loss of life at sea by the U.S. Navy. Really, that record holds oh, okay. today. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. So makes sense. It would happen during that war. Right. Yeah. Such. A, it was a deadly war. That's mm-hmm. for sure. So about the Indianapolis. Let's talk about the ship itself. Um, the USS Indianapolis was built nineteen thirty to nineteen thirty-one. You know, took more than the year. Uh, and as I was aware before, but in reading about the ship, like I got reminded, ships are called she's, not it's. It's she, the ship, not it, the ship. That feels weirdly sexist to me, but I'm not sure why. It just is strange because, I don't know, objectification. I don't know. I'll, I'll try not to go. <laughs> too far into that into my millennial rant about that but it was there, there she are, was there, there are more pressing things like guys getting uh, torpedoed out of boats well yeah there's that <laughs> so she was a Portland class cruiser is how she was okay categorized uh, and there were only two of this kind of cruiser two kind of this ship designed and constructed by the US Navy one was the Portland, Portland-class cruiser, and the other was the Indianapolis. So they're both named after U.S. cities, um, and both were used extensively in the war, in World War II. So it's a type of heavy cruiser, and uh, it was designed as a warship designed for long-range, high-speed, and armed with naval guns. So this is a battleship. Sure. And... It was obviously like a technological step forward from previous types of cruisers. So as one would hope that they were improving. (laughs) So here are the specs on this ship. So it cost at the time $10,903,200. Sorry, (laughs) that doesn't make sense. $10,903,200. I was going to say, did you write it down (laughs) wrong or did you just say it wrong? No, I said it weird. Okay. And that was in $1930. I did like a currency conversion or not an inflation calculator. I'm guessing $100 million? $156 million. Oh, wow. Yeah, this is a pricey ship. Okay. Um, It was... Actually, for now, that's really not... That's not that bad. That's That's like a bargain. Is it for... I don't know the going rate. $156 million for a ship... I don't know the going rate for battleships. I don't either, but I'm, that sounds kind of cheap. I thought it sounded like a lot. It's probably somewhere in the middle. It's probably like yeah. average or reasonable. Yeah, um, like, yeah he knocked off 10%. Right. <laughs> so the Indianapolis was 610 feet long at its longest point. Okay. okay. So that's, um, that's two football fields. Yes. 
Uh, I had to think in my head so I didn't say something stupid because I tend to. Um, at the water line, it was 584 feet long. Okay. So it depended yeah. on where it was in the water. Um, 66 feet wide at its widest point because, you know, it's like not oval shape, but, you know, like right. that classic. It's narrow. Yeah, narrow near the ends, like pointy at the ends. And weighed about 10... Thousand displacement tons, which is about 20 million pounds. So here's something interesting I learned because I was like, what's displacement ton? Ships are weighed based on the water it displaces. Like that's how they measure it. So they have like lines on the side of the ship and the farther like that shows you because they can tell based on the weight of the water it displaces how much the boat weighs. They don't put it on a big scale. Right. You know, so I thought that was kind of interesting. Live and learn. About battleships. Mm-hmm. So the Indianapolis was launched on November 7th, 1931. And in the, at least in the armed services, I don't know this. this is for all ships, but it, launching just means like it was christened, sure. you know, with the breaking of the champagne bottle. And she was sponsored by Lucy Taggart. A sponsor, again, is the lady who breaks the sort of like the little um, figurehead of the ship or sure. whatever at the ceremony. Um, And Lucy Taggart was the daughter of former Indianapolis mayor, Thomas Taggart. So so it's all about tradition and luck, having a sponsor. It's not really about money per se. Although, interestingly, technically in the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard, the sponsor is a permanent member of the ship's crew. Interesting. Yeah. This member of the ship's crew did not die (laughs) because she wasn't on the ship. I would hope not. (laughs) Yeah. At least she didn't die in that. (laughs) Yeah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the Indianapolis was commissioned, which is put into active duty, on November 15th, 1931. So pretty much right away. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it was during peacetime. Mm-hmm. It was during the Depression, but was it was during say, yeah. peacetime. Yeah. So there Barely. there wasn't really much going on in terms of battles at that juncture, at least not that I'm aware of. In just the just a financial battle. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so uh, the Indianapolis's shakedown cruise was through the Atlantic and into Guantanamo Bay until February 23rd, 1932. So from November to February. A shakedown cruise is basically like a test run. Sure. To make sure the ship is seaworthy. Can hold up. Mm -hmm. And she actually hosted President FDR, Franklin Delano Roosevelt, and six members of his cabinet in 1933. Okay. So that's the ship. That's the ship itself. Um, now, her service, the USS Indianapolis's service in wartime. Uh, so that was when she first saw active like battle was during World War II. She was actually working on a mock bombardment exercise off Hawaii at Johnston Atoll on December 7th, 1941. So That's she was crazy. close so just, to Pearl Harbor yeah, but not at a, the time. Not, not there not quite right yet. there, no. And when Pearl Harbor was attacked, she immediately joined a task force to look for the Japanese carriers responsible for the attack. They didn't find them, but she was part of that crew or that uh, task force. Uh, And then the Indianapolis went back to Pearl Harbor on December 13th, so like six days later, and joined Task Force 11, an aircraft carrier task force during the war. Okay. Um. And the Indianapolis saw a crap ton of battles. Like, she was involved in a lot. Oh, yeah. So. All of those ships did. 
Yeah, and but and she was some, involved. Some of, them made them, some of them made it. Some of them didn't. Right. She was involved all in the in the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. All all on the Japanese side. The uh, the less known, as as far as Americans are concerned, the less known part of World War Two. Right. There's a lot Every, of emphasis on the European yes. front. Yeah, but well, not because so much. that's where it had that's where it had to go to to come to an right. end for Germany. Right. Uh-huh. But there was a lot of fighting in the Pacific that oh, still yeah. people are like, huh, that happened? It yeah. Like, yeah. It, it was a, it was a, the literal definition of a world war. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the Indianapolis saw battle in the New Guinea campaign in the South Pacific, February, March 42. Uh, the Aleutian Islands campaign in the North Pacific, August 42. The occupation on Amchita in the Aleutian Islands, January, February, 43, so like at least every six months, right? Operation Galvanic in the Gilbert Islands, November, 43. Battle of Kwajalein, I'm trying my best here. Sounds Marshall good to me. Islands, February, 44. The attack of the Western Carolines around New Guinea, March, April, 44. The Battle of Saipan in the Mariana Islands, June 44. This was during D-Day. So during D-Day, she was in that battle. The Battle of the Philippine Sea in June 44. The Battle of Tinian, sound a little bit, going from Tinian to, to Leahy, that's what, Leite, that's what uh, Quint was saying. I don't remember that Anyway, part. that'll okay. come back in. Okay. That'll come back into play. I was like, where? Should I know that And that's Well, it was in the Mariana <laughs> Islands. <laughs> Not personally. No. In June 44, the Battle of Peleliu in the Palau group. Yeah. Is I, that, did I, I pronounce that right? Palau, yes. Peleliu Islands? Yeah. Yes, and Palau. Okay, yes. okay. Yes, you're correct. Mm, I'm impressed. September 44, at you, that, that you knew how to pronounce that. And she was involved in the Battle of Iwo Jima. Okay. February, so March 45. So this thing saw some... Heavy action. And some... Big battles. Some... Major battles. Uh, what am I trying to say? some definitive action too. Like Mm -hmm. three of those battles that you named are famous battles. Yeah. Yeah. Especially Iwo Jima. Yeah. Iwo Jima was the one I recognized. Mm -hmm. I didn't really recognize the others, but, uh, the Aleutian islands is, is another big one. That was a turning point. Mm -hmm. Um, and so was, um, Saipan. Okay. Okay. Those are all all turning point. Okay. Battles. All right. So she was involved in key battles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. On March 31st, 1945, um, while engaging in a bombardment of Okinawa, Mm -hmm. the Indianapolis was bombed by an enemy plane, uh, and nine crew members were killed, and part of the ship was flooded, but the bulkheads actually kept the ship afloat and prevented catastrophic flooding, and she was actually able to sail on her own to um, the Mare Island Navy Yard in California. So this is a tough ship. Yeah. So now this is March 31st, 1945. That that happened. Okay. And it had to go get repaired, right? And then on July 16th, 1945, in the Jornada del Muerto Desert of New Mexico. Excellent. Do you know what happened in the Jornada del Muerto? Uh, This is when they uh, tested the, the first... Uh, nuclear bomb, you which was it. which was named Trinity. I yeah, believe. you absolutely got it. Do you know what 
Jornada del Muerto means? I know muerto means death, so... Basically, it translates to Journey of the Dead Man. Yeah, that's a perfect place to drop an atomic bomb. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Was it named that before or after the bomb? <laughs> right? I think it was I'm gonna before, say, but... I'm going to go with after. I don't know. No, I think it was, was before. It? Okay. Yeah, but, I, but maybe not. So that was the first detonation of a nuclear weapon, part of the Manhattan Project, mm-hmm. so obviously... Oh, and there are some scientists that everybody's heard of that worked on that. Like who? Well, that's that's in the whole other, but well, if you've I don't ever know that seen we'll any, get into it. Okay, I just can't remember them right now. No, I'm kidding. Einstein was one. He worked on the atom bomb. He he had he had a role in it. Okay. Um, and Oppenheimer, Robert Oppenheimer, Oppenheimer. I am unfamiliar with this person. He was one of the people I think that came up with the was the first person to back. Einstein's theory of relativity. Oh, okay. So another smart person. Yes. We can cut all that out because I'm not positive of that. <laughs> well, but, check. But there, but there are, but there are, like, if you have watched associated. any history of the atom mm-hmm. bomb, like the testing, there are names like, oh, I've heard of that guy. Well, it would that make worked, sense because it was the brightest need, minds yeah, yeah. in America, not in mm-hmm. the world. Yeah. So, like, literally just a few hours after the successful test of Trinity, the Indianapolis left San Francisco carrying about half the world's supply at that time of uranium Mm 235. So they were not carrying the bomb, but they were carrying a very important part of the bomb. So this uranium was for Little Boy, the bomb that was dropped on where? Uh, Would that be Hiroshima? It would be. I wonder how I knew that. I don't know. (laughs) By the... What dropped it on Hiroshima? Uh, are you talking about the name of the plane? Mm-hmm. The Enola Gay. Yep. You got it. All right. And that's a whole other story in itself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no kidding. So, now let's get into the the bad thing. Other, we're actually not going to get into the bad thing of the atom bomb. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be all happening in the background. Yeah. That's <laughs> small. That, that, that's just a minor detail. Yeah, you know, just a little blip on the radar. Yeah. Um, so, holding the uranium for little boy... The Indianapolis set a speed record of 74.5 hours from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor. So first they went to Hawaii. Um, So it was an average speed of 29 knots, which is about 33 miles per hour. Um, And this is still a record today, how fast they hauled it from San Francisco to Pearl Harbor. Do you know what a knot is? It's a measurement of speed in the water and also the air. It's an abbreviation for a nautical mile. But it's also written K-N-O-T-S. It is. That's just how But they, it's just, yeah, yeah I gotcha. Um, it's just a nickname. A knot, yeah. yeah like a tie a knot. Like a, like a click is a kilometer. Yes, I, I, yes, I have heard that. Uh, so she arrived at Pearl Harbor on July 19th, 1945, and then continued on alone to um, Tinian Island in the Northern Mariana Islands. So this was an un... Uh, what am I trying to remember? The word... Uh, unescorted ship. She was just on her own from Hawaii to the Mariana With Islands. With half the world's supply of uranium. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in the first five minutes of USS Indianapolis starring Nicolas Cage, <laughs> they very dramatically... He has a really intense line, I'm going to guess. <laughs> no, they very dramatically show, like, them trying to figure out which 
which ship should carry the bomb when it's really just the uranium. And also, like, um, oh, it'd be a suicide mission for whoever. I, I don't think it was... I mean, this was important, yes. And they were unaccompanied, but... I didn't read anything quite that dramatic. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't think so. Well, as, I don't as, know. <laughs> as, as Quint would say, our mission was so secret. Oh, that's right. No distress signal had been sent. And that's all I remember. Well, we'll talk about that, whether that is true or not. It would make sense if it was alone, if it, for it to be a secret mission, because it doesn't, right, want, doesn't right. want to draw attention mm-hmm. by going with a fleet. Right. So the uranium was successfully delivered. So she made it. She made it to um, Tibian. Oh, that's right, because this is on the way back when it. When this... It's on the way out. Yes. Yeah. Um, so the, the uranium was successfully delivered on July 26th, 1945. Obviously, it was successfully delivered, or Little Boy wouldn't have bombed Hiroshima. Or we wouldn't have, yeah, we wouldn't have had what, what came after. Right. Or, now, or we would have had just one bomb, not right. two. Right. Is it Hiroshima or Hiroshima? Either way, I've heard it pronounced both ways. I, I I've always said I've always said Hiroshima. Yeah. But either way. Yeah. I'll just keep it's going like, back. It's and like forth. A Saint Louis, Saint Louis, which is which is more which is right. Well, one is French. Well, they're both correct. Well, I wonder what how <laughs> Japanese people pronounce Hiroshima or Hiroshima. Hiroshima or Hiroshima. I'm thinking the latter. Hiroshima. Yeah, yeah a little more. Hiroshima? It's a, it's a more definitive sounding word. Okay. Hiroshima. Hiroshima. Okay. I have I have no um, good Japanese accent to try that. and pronounce yeah, it properly. It would, it would get really racist really quick if you tried. <laughs> no, I mean like I mean like I felt very good saying Jornada del Muerto, but I don't feel sure. yeah, I comfortable can't, saying I can't even do that. So You can't go Hornado? No, I can't I cannot do the, can't. the word. Nope. <laughs> I can't. All right. I, ha- I, have, I have many, many other talents. That's just not one of them. <laughs> so the Indianapolis from Tinian Island went to Guam. Okay. Uh, so they successfully ended up in Guam, where some of the crew disembarked because it was the end of their tour. Lucky for them. So, yes. So some people were very lucky, but... Some people came on board, so they were very unlucky. Yeah, so that's, that's true. A, it's not like, oh, we're just going to be without those 300, like, right. 300 new guys are coming right. on. Right, yeah. yeah. So she left Guam on July 28th, and the plan was to go to Leyte in the Philippines for training before heading to Okinawa. So she was going to keep going into battle, right? Because well, things we were, were about to go down. At that Japan. point, we were expecting, I mean, it was expected we're going to go into Japan. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, they, yep. that's what they would have been doing. Yeah. So, while en route to Leyte, at midnight, like 58 seconds past midnight or something like that, on July 30th, 1945, the USS Indianapolis was struck by two torbe- torpedoes from a Japanese submarine. One torpedo struck the bow, mm. so the front of the boat, mm-hmm. and the other hit in the middle of oh. the boat. Now, the last time it had been attacked, the bulkheads held out, and so they were they didn't get catastrophic flooding. And the last time it had been attacked, it was a bombing, not a torpedo. Right. Yes, this was an underwater so attack. So the bombing was, was hitting torpedo. the top of the ship. Right. They could hang on. It was a different type of attack. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. This no. one's this one's taking it out from the bottom. So two torpedoes yeah. too. So so this thing was had no fucking chance. Yep. The the bulkheads were destroyed. Yeah. 
Um, fuel tanks exploded. Oh, I'm, yeah. I'm sure it was all sorts of chaos. And about 40 feet of the bow was severed oh. from the ship. And within 12 minutes... Oh, yeah. The Indianapolis rolled completely over and then began to sink vertically from what was left of the bow first straight down into the ocean. So, like I said, there were 1,196 crew members on board, and about 300 of them went down with the ship. And who knows how many died instantly from the torpedo hits from... Well, no, that's what I'm saying. They went down. Like they they died when the ship died, basically. So about a quarter of the crew was gone. gone Just initially. I'm surprised that's all it was. Initially, right? Right. Well, it was past midnight, so a lot of them had been sleeping and were in their sleeping quarters. Yeah, that's Um, pretty crazy. And of those who remained on the ship, uh, or for those who who went down with the ship. They also didn't have great deaths as they were going down with the ship. Probably The option was basically they either died from the explosion Mm -hmm. itself, from the torpedoes, or heavy equipment coming loose or crushing them, or drowning. Drowning, yeah. Like, those were the three options. The best was probably just to die like that. The explosion, yeah, the initial explosion. I'll I'll, I'll take that one. Yeah. Out of those three. Don't see it coming. Out of those three options. You're just asleep, and then if you're aware at all, it's just just for a second. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the rest... The 800 to 900-ish crew, including the ship captain, Captain Charles B. McVeigh III. So the captain was on the the ship, but abandoned ship with his order to abandon ship. Um, and, and, And so the rest of the crew, everyone who had not gone down with the ship, had grabbed the life jackets and... Boats that they could, which were not many. Sure. And the life jackets were K-Pok back then, which is basically like cotton filled. And so anyway, so so they were commanded to abandon ship and they did. These will keep you afloat for a couple of hours. Right. And they started swimming away from the wreckage because... Sure, they didn't want to get this, sucked down Exactly. With it. Yeah. This giant boat going yeah. down is going to just mm-hmm. suck, yeah, create like a whirlpool or a vacuum, right? Um... Some survivors said that they could hear the screams of those going down with the ship. I'll bet. And the water was really oily because of the leaked fuel. So some of them, like, had oil all over themselves. And and some of the survivors were burned or bleeding from wounds, obviously, because it's a traumatic Mm -hmm. attack. All right. So let, now, me, let me guess what happens to the people who were bleeding from their wounds. Well, let's talk about what mm-hmm. happened to these survivors. So the Indianapolis had sunk about halfway between Guam and Leyte uh, in the Pacific Ocean. So they're kind of in the middle of yeah, freaking nowhere. Yeah, they're pretty, yeah, exactly. They're in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. And the survivors tried to stay in, like, bunches, in sure. groups. Sure. Safer in numbers, you know, right? And wait to be rescued. Um, there were no real provisions and only a few lifeboats. Plus, they're in salt water, so that's yeah, not... Yeah, you can't, you drink, can't drink salt, salt water, water, which we'll talk about. And as the daylight came, so this remember, this was around midnight, or mm-hmm. just at midnight, um, the sun came up, and the heat started getting to them. Remember, some of them were covered in oil? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So there was a lot of burning, just yeah. sun burning for them. Uh, they became lightheaded and dizzy and incredibly thirsty, as yeah. could be completely understandable. Those who did drink 
the ocean water obviously became even more thirsty mm-hmm. because it's salt water. So now to get to the part that Quint very specifically talked about and what is probably the most um, popularized fact about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis, the shark attacks, right? Mm-hmm. So because some of the men had suffered wounds, there was blood. Uh, plus, this it all happened right there, so there's probably blood from people who didn't survive mm-hmm. and everything. There was blood in the water around the survivors, and that's theorized that that's what first drew the sharks in the middle of the Pacific Ocean they to were, them. They were essentially like a floating chum factory. Yeah, kind of. Uh, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, which is... Yeah. You don't want to be that a floating chum factory anywhere, no. <laughs> but especially not in, in the, the middle, middle of the Pacific, Pacific Ocean. That's, that's the, about the last place where uh, you want it to happen. I wouldn't mind being a chum factory in a swimming pool. Yeah, that, I'd, I'd, I'd settle for that. Yeah. I'm sure those guys would have too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, so by survivor accounts, the shark attack started the very first morning in the water. Um, they tried to stay in groups, which tended to keep most of them safe sure. from attacks. But inevitably, somebody here or there would get separated from the group. Yeah, and so the some of the accounts of what it was like to see people get attacked was they would hear a scream, look over to the person who was screaming, they would go under, and then just their life vest would pop back up. Mm-hmm. It's just, just very Jaws-like, yeah. you know. So it was obviously awful. Um, it's thought now that the sharks that were attacking them were oceanic white-tip sharks and or tiger sharks. Yes. So, so not, not great whites. We're, we're not really talking great whites. But no. tiger sharks... Are vicious. They don't get the same reputation that a great white does, but they should. They're not as big. That's the thing about great whites. They're yeah, so big they're that it's, yeah. Yeah, tiger but sharks. Tiger sharks are mean, right? Yeah, That's yes, what I've are. heard. Yeah, that they're just Those very and vicious. like thresher sharks, like you mm-hmm. don't want to be anywhere around mm-hmm. those things. So, um, interestingly, both of those species are now at risk of being endangered because of shark finning. Oh, that's that, that which is that's, a horrific that's a horrible practice. Thing. I've really actually is. seen videos of that. Oh, it is, it's it's yeah. awful. It's absolutely hideous. This is more horrific than that. But still, well, it's horrific Well, because the attack on right. humans. Yes. But there's nothing unnatural about this attack. That is true. It is the a sharks, predator. Sharks doing what they do. Yeah. In their territory. Right. And also, sharks aren't as evolved as humans no. in terms of ability to think through no. and survive yeah. in other ways than finning something. Yeah, you know, that's so. true. You're right. Actually, no. We're, we're yeah. kind of jerks yes, to sharks. The, the, the finning yeah. is worse. Yeah. 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 You're yeah. correct. So, I'm not saying that the sharks weren't being jerks to these people, no. but... That's more natural than us doing. They, they were just we were following what their now. DNA told them to do. Yeah, yeah. So this, these shark attacks obviously are harrowing and like one of the sort of most known facts about the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. But it wasn't necessarily the worst thing that happened to people, oh, the survivors. Gee, oh, okay. Yeah, because I'm not sure. I, I'm not sure. I want to know what was well, at this point. Well, at least it's a quick death. That's the main thing because the other people who were surviving and still staying afloat. Um, were being tortured by thirst and dehydration. Um, people's lips and tongues were swelling and cracking, Ugh. which is awful. A few survivors actually found a, like some rations floating. Yeah, here and there. Like spam and crackers, but otherwise they were starving too. Yeah. They weren't eating. They weren't drinking nothing. And in the heat during the day, in the middle of the Pacific. 
Um, those who, understandably, given the circumstances, drank the ocean water, mm-hmm. um, expedited their dehydration, you know, um, because uh, drinking salt water in any more than just small amounts for the human body um, or without any fresh water is really bad for the human body. It throws off your cellular osmosis balance. That sounds bad. I have no idea what that is. And it, it causes the body's cells to shrink. Oh, it's okay. So very that, bad. So, so that is bad. And your kidneys can't keep up with the... It, it, it. Your kidneys dehydrate you trying to get the balance of salt and water right. It's it's bad. It's just bad. So, so you're um, essentially dying internally. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, from the inside out. No, mostly, not good. Yeah. Um, and those who were drinking um, large amounts of salt water started experiencing horrific hallucinations oh God, and delirium yeah. Yeah. before their death because yeah. of it. And in their hallucinations, some of them killed themselves or others. So there was a little bit of that going on, too. Sure. So shark attacks, yes, did kill. There's no there's no number of who got killed by what. Because this was all happening while they were all, like, delirious from the, sure. There's no way to know right. for sure. It's all witness accounts of what had happened. But some know? people did. Yeah. So I'm guessing that's yes. like the, be- the the biggest part they embellished on in Jaws. Yes, was that that was some people like, did die of shark like attacks, of and the shark attacks were obviously mentally horrific. Sure. But there was also just the dehydration and. Can't wait to try surfing in the the Pacific Ocean in, <laughs> in September. I'm gonna think of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so how long do you think they were in the water? I think they were in the water like three or four days, weren't three they? Three and a half days. Yeah. Without any yeah. anything, um, so so yeah, I do have a little sidebar here about um, the Captain Quint's um, speech, speech, right, which we already touched yeah. on. He did get the broad strokes right. He got a few of the details wrong, like some of the, the survivor number. He was off by a few. The number on the he said eleven hundred men. It was almost twelve hundred men and things like that. And uh, so there there was embellishments, but. All right, now let's talk about the rescue, because there were survivors. Yes. So, the survivors were finally spotted on August 2nd. Remember, this was July 30th as mm-hmm. this happened. August 2nd, 1945, at 1025 a.m. And they were found by happenstance. Complete well, that's coincidence. probably how they were going to be found. Yes. By pilot Lieutenant Wilbur Chuck Gwynn. And his co-pilot, Lieutenant Warren Caldwell, well, they were on a routine patrol flight. So, again, yeah, it just happened this Four way. things like that. Right. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, they dispatched for help and dropped a life raft and a radio transmitter to the crew. And under the command of Lieutenant R. Adrian Marks, a PBY Catalina flying boat, which is like a giant seaplane. Okay. Um, went to the scene and to the crew, and they began dropping rafts and supplies sure. to the survivors. Sure, like a ship's coming, but in the meantime... We need to get as many of you out as yeah. we can, yeah. So here's, Marks, some, here's some water, here's some... Right, yeah. right. Marks landed in the open sea, in spite of standing orders to the contrary. He wasn't supposed to land oh. this plane in the open sea. He's like, I don't care, we're getting these people. Plus, because um, it's a seaplane, Yeah. landing in the ocean... 
That's, yeah. That's too, that's, it's probably not supposed to do but, that. Well, that's probably why he wasn't supposed to do it, yeah. <laughs> yeah the, they probably worried that the plane wouldn't hold up. And so he mainly tried to target, apparently tried to target the crew who were at most risk of shark attacks, the ones who had gotten separated. So he was trying to pick up the stragglers, basically, because mm-hmm. he knew that they were at the biggest risk, the people who weren't with other people. Um, and the survivors told him that they were from the Indianapolis, So he radioed with the news and asked for more help. Um, The USS Cecil J. Doyle responded that it was on its way right away, diverted on the authority of its captain, W. Graham Clater Jr., future U.S. Secretary of the Navy under President Jimmy Carter. Okay. Um, and he did that. Sounds like a sounds like a pretty good guy. He yeah. was just like well, he was like, he, hey, and he made we're that going. decision on his own. He he yeah. didn't ask for permission. He yeah. just changed his course and said, no, we're going. He was like, if I get fired, fuck it. Yep, we're saving people. Yeah, yeah. So on his seaplane, Marks and his crew took on board as many men as they could. Once they were at capacity, this is so inventive. They tied additional survivors to the wings of the plane using parachute cord. Okay. So guys were like, get them, just, just like get dangling. them, get yeah. them the hell out of that water. Yeah. Um, it ended up irreparably damaging the wings of the plane. Not during like they made it safe. Sure. They, they made it safely to land, but he couldn't take off again. Probably they had to destroy the plane because yeah. yeah. it was no, of no good. But he he just so. got on on the ship that was coming anyway. Right. So um, so Marks and his crew rescued fifty six people. Wow. Fifty six survivors on the one seaplane. Damn. Yeah. So while Marks and his crew, remember they the first plane that spotted them was at 10.25 a.m. And then Marks and his seaplane came by and they were working into the night. And that's when the USS Cecil J. Doyle arrived. Okay. Um, and they the captain was able to home in on the plane, which was how he, he sort of figured out where they were and started taking survivors on board of the ship. Clater also turned on his biggest searchlight to show res- other rescuers where they could come as like a beacon. And an additional six destroyers eventually sur- uh, arrived. Or wait, I think it was an additional five. I think there were six total, if okay. I'm not mistaken. Um, and they the rescue efforts continued until August 8th. So they oh, tried wow. for a long time okay. to get as many people as they could, almost a week. And now, and August eighth was two days after the bomb was dropped on Hiroshima. Okay. So while the uranium they delivered was being used, they were being dragged out of the water and treated. So, so they rescued three hundred. That's quite a bookend. Yeah. Right. They rescued three hundred twenty-one members of the Indianapolis, and three hundred seventeen ultimately survived. Okay. So four died. Yeah. After rescue. The survivors had suffered from severe dehydration, starvation, hypothermia, sunburn. I was going to say, yeah. Severe skin peeling and shark attacks. Yeah. Yeah. Even some of those survivors had lived through some of the shark attacks. So, yeah. All in all, every single one of the survivors was in bad shape. Mm Mm-hmm. There was no... There was no good... No. Yeah. At, at best, it's like oh my tongue is swollen, it's cracked up. Like that was right? that was like the guy in the best shape. Right? Like oh at, you only got that. At best, they were pretty physically destroyed, and at worst, they were 
just mentally mentally gone. destroyed for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Probably PTSD. I can't even imagine. Probably all those guys. Yeah. Which is probably yeah. why Quint in Jaws is sort of portrayed the way he is. He's he's unhinged, yeah. you know, and you can kind of understand he's it. Got based a, on he's that. got a uh, and has an alcohol problem. And well, yeah, as probably all of those guys did. Wouldn't blame something. Him. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I wouldn't blame him either. Mm-hmm. That's crazy. So something. So that's the end of the bit about the actual disaster and survival. So now let's talk about the fallout, as sure. we always do. A really great question that gets sort of comes out of all of this is how does a giant naval ship that just delivered a crap ton of uranium to end up, you know, having the bomb destroy Hiroshima be torpedoed and sink in the middle of the Pacific Ocean without the Navy knowing about it and dispatching search and rescue. Now, according to Quinn, it was because it was so secret they didn't send out a distress signal. And you said the ship went down in 12 minutes, correct? It did, but that doesn't mean there couldn't have been a distress signal. True. That could have happened. Or maybe that so. guy that does that died. Mm. I mean, who, yeah, who knows? No, this was an automatic thing, the distress signal, I oh, think. Oh, okay. All right. I think. So let me see. Because you got to remember, this is 1940s technology we're talking about. They didn't even have, they barely had radar. Like, radar was in its infancy. Yeah, no, so so here's the thing. So let's go through this. For, for one thing, something to keep in mind is context, right? This is older technology. Yes. So that's something important to keep in mind. So it's not like there was GPS. And, and, and some of that techno, most of that technology has evolved into yes. what it is today. Yes, yes. But some um, of it, but we're talking about it in its primitive state. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of failure as to why... Uh, rescue teams were not sent out. And here's some of it. There was an assumption by command, the commander's headquarters in Guam and Leyte that ships as big as the Indianapolis, there was an assumption that ships as big as the Indianapolis would get to their destinations on time unless otherwise reported. So like everything is fine until we hear you didn't get there when you're supposed to. Okay. Like, Oh, your curfew is midnight, so as long as you're home by midnight, everything's fine. Kind of like the assumption of an unsinkable ship, which is an oxymoron. we know how that. Which is, yeah. a, which is an oxymoron. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they really weren't checking in. It was just more of like, a, well, if we don't hear, hear from you by X date, then there's a problem. Yeah, that sounds like a bad policy, but then, then again, that might have been... Not completely uncommon for the time. No, it wasn't. It was completely common. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not like so, today where you just send somebody, you can communicate right. with anybody instantly. Right. Yeah. But here's the problem. They sunk on July 30th. They weren't found till August 2nd. They were supposed to land July 31st. Oh, so, so somebody they didn't kinda, make so it. So somebody kind of dropped the ball they, on, uh, well, here's what happened. You guys happened. seen the Indianapolis? It's not it here It was yet. recorded that she had landed. That okay. the Indianapolis had arrived by Lieutenant Stuart P. B. Gibson, the officer who was in charge of tracking the Indianapolis. He knew that they hadn't arrived. So why did he say that they did? He didn't say anything to his supervisors and for reasons unknown said that they arrived, even though they didn't. Maybe he was lazy and assumed. Who knows? But he just dropped the ball like to a shocking degree. Uh, uh yeah. And Say that again. In the end, he got a reprimand by his supervisors, and that was it. I was just going to say, like, I hope he got fired. No. At the least. No. If not. No. So just a, wow. He got reprimanded. He got a slap on the wrist. Yeah. No shit. Yeah. For lying about the ship 
having plus this is happening within the armed forces so you mm-hmm. would think it'd be automatic jail or right detention right? no no for fucking up that bad here's the other thing there are official navy records that show that three separate naval stations received a distress signal from the indianapolis so an, a distress signal was absolutely sent out and three different stations heard it picked up on it yeah none of them acted on it how far away were they or do you, do you know? it doesn't matter well, they sure, heard right, it right so no i don't i don't have that information but they heard it but here's why they didn't act on it one commanding officer at one of the stations was drunk at another one of the stations and this is a different time <laughs> yeah uh, what do you do <laughs> people, with a drunken sailor people drink on the job like everywhere Oh, yes. what do you do? I drive a forklift. What do you do while you're doing it? I'm drinking. Right? Because that's safe. Ugh. But, but hey, but hey, we don't need unions. <laughs> right? But uh, another at another station, the commanding officer told his men not to disturb him. So they didn't. Well, okay. here's my only... Uh, okay, there's go, one go along, more. Go along oh, with the other there's excuse. There's a third one. Yes, what's the third excuse? The third one thought that it wasn't a genuine distress signal. It was the Japanese trying to lure them in. What their basis for that was, I don't know. But three separate stations ignored a distress signal from their own ship. The only... The only thing I can... The only saving grace for those people's actions I can come up with is this is at the end of the war, pretty much. Most of these people had been... Especially if you were in the Navy, you were pretty oh. much at war the entire time. Like it wasn't Well, it wasn't like you were infantry. Mm-hmm. You know, infantry could... Well, I, I don't know exactly, but you know what Battle I mean? Battle fatigue, maybe? Just, hey, people, people fucking die. You know, ships oh, get blown up. Indifferent yeah. in a weird way. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. just, you know... Plus, I mean, I, ha- I would assume that at least some... I mean, I know it wasn't, like, widely spread, but some people knew what was about to happen in Nagasaki and Hiroshima. So there Very was like an eye off the ball, knew. but Very I, mean, few I guess knew I guess that's true. It wasn't everybody. But the but. only thing I can think of is mm-hmm. like you were saying, like battle fatigue and just indifference, just like yeah. eh, whatever. Hey, somebody's not seeing their kid for Christmas, am I right? Yeah, right. <laughs> like that's right. probably that's yeah, that's sad. If but you yeah. get to that point in a war, because all these people that are commanders have. I'm going to guess, have been in the war for its entire Right, probably. Um, and a lot of them go on to, to Korea mm-hmm. less than about six, five, six years later. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's the only, I hope that's what it was. Not that that's a good thing right. either. Well, they were drunk. They said, don't disturb me. And they thought it was the Japanese. So yeah. I mean, that one, uh, there's whatever. There's a little bit of... Yes, but because yeah. the Japanese did surprise attack us four years earlier, so yeah, but you can't assume no. that. I'm, I anyway, anyway, anyway. But that, that's the only. That's not the worst of it. No, okay. we're still so going. The, so the negligence gets yeah. better, as it, as it usually. Well, does. it's not so much the negligence as the scapegoat. Ah, so we're onto the scapegoat. Yes, Nicholas Cage. Is the oh, scapegoat. Nicholas. Well, that makes sense. Yes, and we can end the podcast. <laughs> it was all it Nicholas, was Nicholas Cage. Cage's it was Nicholas fault. Cage. It was Nicholas Cage's fault. Partly Quinn's fault. Right, there you go. Yeah. Do you remember who I said Nicolas Cage was portraying? I don't remember the name, but he was portraying the guy on the ship. The guy. Which guy? <laughs> Just the guy. The captain. That's right. The ship. So, that, among... That guy. Well, among, I, was, I was technically right. He yeah. is the guy on the ship. Yeah, the guy. Yeah. yeah. 
Among the rescued was the captain. Oh, so okay. So he made it Charles through. Charles B. McFay III did survive, ironically, and they again portrayed and mentioned by Nicolas Cage in the film USS Indianapolis. It was his 47th birthday when they got torpedoed. Okay. So he got the happy birthday. Yeah. Yeah. Um, when he was rescued, McVeigh had, and it's McVeigh V A Y, not like Timothy. Okay. Yeah. McVeigh had repeatedly asked why it had taken so long for his crew to be rescued. Like, why didn't you, we send a distress signal? Why didn't you come? And no one ever told him. No one ever said anything. Uh, well, one guy was drunk. Right. The other guy thought it was the Japanese, and the uh, other guy was just completely indifferent and didn't really give a and shit. They said, do not disturb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, and the guy uh, who logs what ships come in, he, right. he said you guys were already there, so. He didn't uh, care whether you were or not. Sucks to be you, huh? Right. Welcome back, sir. Right. So, in November 1945, so after the war ended, Despite conflicting opinions on necessary actions to take against McVeigh um, by two ranking admirals, Captain McVeigh was court-martialed for the sinking of the Indianapolis. Okay, I didn't expect that. Now, they said he hadn't done enough to evade the Japanese submarine. There was a a tactic called zigzagging to try and, like, evade the But this is in the middle of the night. Did they even know that there was a submarine in the... Uh, near them? The idea was that there was the discretion of the captain to, because it was Pacific waters... I, I see what they're saying. Th- and they were saying he should have. He should have been like, going in a zigzag evasive the entire actions. time. Instead he well, was going Well, but here's out. the thing, is it was left, the language even of the orders was left to the captain's discretion. So they weren't telling him he had to be doing that all the time. They were saying he had to use his discretion as to when it would be effective for him to do that. He supposedly, whether or not he was, I don't know, he wasn't doing that at the time they got torpedoed. So they were basically, basically, what did the Navy have to do other than blame dumbass who, like, said they arrived when they didn't, shit-faced drunk asshole who was, like, drinking, stupid idiot who just, like, was like, it's not my problem, and gullible Louie, whoever, who was just like, oh, it might be the Japanese. It was Uh, incompetent. and, And Nicolas Cage. Well... That's who they pinned it on. They were just like, all of this looks really bad for the Navy. So we're going to say that it was the captain. They they scapegoated the guy. I would have blamed it on the tiger shark. (laughs) Not for the the sinking. Yeah, I would have blamed it. I still. (laughs) Okay. A a pack of tiger sharks attacked. There you go. Like nobody nobody (laughs) knew that was possible anyway. They could have just made that up. So, and they also said that he didn't give orders to abandon ship soon enough. But this, the thing sunk in 12 minutes. Like, how long do you really have? And when did he say abandon ship? Like, there would be no... Yeah. They weren't wearing a watch, you know, like, oh, well, let me log when it was Actually, time they to abandon ship. probably were. Well, they, I mean, they, they were wearing... But yeah. in that melee, would you be like, oh, let me make sure I know no. what time this was? I would just yeah. be like, I gotta get the exactly, fuck out of here. Exactly, exactly. So... But here's and I something. gotta swim far away so I don't get sucked down. Right? It. But here's something interesting. So they said he didn't do enough to evade the submarine. The commander of the Japanese submarine that sunk the Indianapolis, his name was Machitsura Hashimoto, and he testified that it wouldn't have made a difference if McVeigh had tried to evade him. He was like, nah. Like, we, we were had on him. him. Yeah. Like, we had him. He could have done anything. We had him. 
But it well, yeah, they did because they hit him twice. Yeah, yeah. But as late as the year 2000, which was just months before he died at age 91, Hashimoto maintained that the court-martial of Captain McVeigh was, quote, contrived from the beginning. Yeah. So the enemy was even like, nah, he had he had nothing to do with this. Well, I believe in Japan they have something that's called uh, pride. Oh, or honor. That too. <laughs> yeah. So Honesty I can, I, and integrity, even if that means, like, a hey, kamikaze. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even though that means sticking up for the guy that you were trying to kill. Yeah, well, at least he was honest, right? So, because of all this, McVeigh's court-martial was obviously controversial. Um, and there was also the fact that McVeigh had specifically asked for a destroyer escort for the Indianapolis. Remember, they were on a company. They were alone, yes. He asked one, for one, um, but he was denied... <sighs> Because not guess. not because it was a secret mission. Hang on, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. Because of the speed of the ship. No, no, no. It was because naval command thought the Indianapolis was safe from harm, given the point of the war, because they're almost to the point where it's going to be all over anyway, and they wanted to prioritize escort of transports to Okinawa to rescue pilots okay. because of the the um, offensives that were going on there. So they were like, no, you're not a priority, so we're not going to do that. <laughs> you're only carrying half of the world's uranium. This was after. They were. They had already dropped it off. Oh, I see. I gotcha. Yeah. He was asking for an escort on the way yep. back. Mm-hmm. Okay. I see what you mean. Well, not on the way back. Remember, they're not going back. Well, they're continuing on. The, after, after they drop yes, off the uranium. Yes. That's what I mean when I say when they're They were continuing back. on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and the Indianapolis also had no submarine detection equipment. That helps. Yeah. So... There had also been another destroyer, the USS Underhill, that had been sunk by a Japanese submarine less than a week. In that same before area? Before the Indianapolis was hit, yes. In the same vicinity, but it was considered classified intelligence and nobody told Captain McVeigh. Hmm. So Let's not tell the guy that doesn't have submarine detection Right, right, and is going in the same area. And is, uh, yeah. 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 So. Oh, and he doesn't have an escort either. But yeah. But whatever. You ready to hear? So this this story tr- takes such an interesting turn because it basically turns to the end of this chapter about McVeigh. Um, McVeigh received threatening and angry phone calls and letters for the rest of his life Jesus. from family members of dead crew members um, who said things like, apparently this he was sent a Christmas card one year that said, quote, Merry Christmas. Our family's holiday would be a lot merrier if you hadn't killed my son. But that was fun to open and read. Uh-huh. I mean, and I get it. There's grieving people who are clearly in the anger stage of grief. But that's... Well, again... Oh, that's vicious. <laughs> again, like, like we always kind of talk about, because we watched that one uh, documentary about the 70s, and they split it up. And right. Got, mm-hmm. Like, my contention... At, being a child born in the 70s, I'm not going to tell you which year. <laughs> you know. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think I've mentioned it before. But And then looking back and talking to people who grew up during that time, who were teenagers in the 70s, like, I think the entire country had PTSD in, in the 70s. Well, and that was and just I, from Vietnam. This and I, is... and I, think it, I think it's the same thing with, with right. this generation. Like, yes. the entire country had... Yes. Because everybody knew somebody... Or was involved in the effort, yes. That uh-huh. probably either got killed or, or at yeah. least served, mm-hmm. if not both. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah. Yeah, and I think... So, I, I think all I think the entire mm-hmm. country for a period of time right. was probably just mentally unstable. Mm-hmm. 
So McFay suffered from extreme guilt. And after the death of his wife from cancer, I believe this was in 1968. Um, so after his wife uh, died from cancer, he lived a lonely life until, and I, again, I think this was in 68. He was found in his front yard by his gardener. He was dead. He shot himself. Mm. So he committed. He. What year was this? I, like I said, I think it was 68, but I didn't okay. write it down. But I okay. think if I'm remembering correctly. So he had killed himself um, with his service pistol. And this is the saddest little detail alluded to in the first five minutes of USS Indianapolis starring Nicolas Cage on Netflix. I think Nicolas Cage killed him. He may have. May have. But he... Certainly killed any legacy the guy had <laughs> right? by doing well, this movie. Yeah. So McVeigh when he was found dead, had a little toy uh, sailor in his hand that he had been given as a little boy as a good luck term. Oh, God. That, yeah. Isn't that just, like, I, the kinda, saddest I thing? I kind of wish I didn't know that I part. know. I really do. I know. That's, like, the kicker, right? The yeah. The gut, gut punch. Okay, so this guy, thing. and all I'm thinking about, too, is, all right, this guy survived almost four days. Um, in the open went sea, through, yep, dehydrated. Went through whatever he went through, heard people being eaten alive by sharks. Probably was trying to maintain some sort of well, order of course, because he's he the was captain. the captain. Yeah, yes. and he's like, no, you're my crew yes. members, come on. Yeah. yeah, it's not like because they yeah. go into the water, he's not the captain right, anymore. Right. Like, he still mm-hmm. is. Mm-hmm. And he's the one that they scapegoat. Yeah. Like, how... And, we, all, and all he was probably trying to do the entire time was the right thing. Yeah. That's, by all accounts, that's true. And then... Yeah, he gets court-martialed. So he got court-martialed, and that was that for the rest of his life. He was he was the disgraced captain was he, who killed so people. Was he dishonorably discharged? Like, he is was that court-martialed. What? Well, so right, whatever that did, means, I don't know what Well, a, that means he went to trial. That's what that means. Okay, I don't know oh, okay. what dis, the difference is between a court-martial and dishonorable discharge. Well, a dishonorable discharge means you were found guilty of whatever, and like you get no real credit for I being... D- I don't know if they're tied in, or okay. I don't know enough about the military court. But, uh, but he was court-martialed. So he was disgraced and court-martialed. And, and got Christmas cards. Right, from hate, hateful Christmas cards yeah. from, again, grieving families. Like, I get Oh, and his that, wife died of he, cancer. And his wife died of cancer, yeah. Yeah. And, and like, 17-ish years later, something like that, yeah. He just decided to kill himself, which I... Kind of surprised it didn't happen sooner. Right? He hung in there for a long time, <laughs> all things considered, yeah. yeah. So... And he was in his sixties at that point. I well, think, probably, so. probably he was just hanging on for his wife. Probably, you know. Yeah. And, and it's then, like, and like once she's gone, it's like, well. And he lived know. on a little bit after she died. He was probably just trying really yeah. hard to hang. Well, on. he had a gardener apparently. That's who. That's who right, found him. Right. Yeah. So that you know. Anyway. But that yeah, I feel really bad for this guy. Yeah, but other survivors of the Indianapolis worked over the years to clear his name. They were like, well, no, good. he was not responsible for this. But the most interesting little twist in this, so they, they were trying, the crew was trying. They, he, this was their captain. They knew he didn't cause this. He didn't, he wasn't neglectful. He shouldn't have been court-martialed. So they were trying to clear his name. But the sort of um, the the impetus for really getting things moving to clear his name post-mortem... It was Nicolas Cage. <laughs> no. It was, in the late 90s, a 12-year-old boy named Hunter Scott from Pensacola, Florida, uh, did a project for National History Day 
in which he interviewed over 100 survivors of the Indianapolis. This kid is, like, very ambitious for having been able to Uh, do this. Yeah. He read hundreds of documents on the Indianapolis, and he was like, wait, McVeigh should not have been court-martialed. No way. And his little report prompted a congressional investigation into this, and Scott, this little boy, this 12-year-old, testified. Like, no, McVeigh should not have been court-martialed. Look at all the research I've done about this. A little boy, a 12-year-old boy. By the way, you know how old he is now? Like my age. He's 31. Well, I I said late 90s. I don't remember what year it was. No, late 90s. I heard 98. Yeah. But anyway, Anyway. he's somewhere around my age, because I was was 12 in the mid-90s, so Yeah. yeah, probably a little younger than me. Um... And on, crazy. on October 30th, 2000, Bill Clinton, President Bill Clinton, signed a resolution passed by Congress to have McVeigh's record reflect complete exoneration from the loss of life and the loss of the Indianapolis. And in July 2001... <laughs> Thus marking the only honorable thing Bill Clinton did, in his, <laughs> well, did in, his, <laughs> in his eight years as president. And in July 2001, Secretary of the Navy Gordon R. England had McVeigh's official, official Navy record purged of any culpability. Good. So his, his name was officially um, cleared as a resolution of Congress, and also um, his record, his official record, was completely expunged of any wrongdoing. I hope his soul feels better right. if, it, if it's floating around. Right, right, yeah. It's sick and sad that it had to all be posthumous. And then it had to be a little 12-year-old boy who was the only person who could get anybody's attention. Yeah. And good on little it, Yeah, Scott, it, it wasn't you know? some, like, again, it wasn't somebody from the New York Times Mm-mm. that went and, I, oh, I interviewed 100 people. It was a middle this... schooler doing a project. <laughs> yeah. That it's it's amazing. Yeah. That, that says amazing. a lot right there, doesn't it? So, this this I also found amazing, and uh, so since 1960, survivors of the USS and Indianapolis have had reunions in Indianapolis every okay. summer. Sure. Or it, it used to be more sporadic, but it has become annual. Well, now there's probably not a lot of them left. Well, so. It, if the, any. The event, the reunion, is actually open to the public, still, to this day. Um, and it's attracting more and more attendees each year, because it's a fascinating story, right? Um, each year, they vote to see whether they want to meet again the following year, and each year, it has passed. Um, as of the 70th anniversary of the sinking, which was 2015... There were 31 survivors remaining Okay, alive. so that made a, a decent amount. In 2016, the next year, 23 survivors came. Now, that doesn't mean that they were the right. only ones surviving. I couldn't get an exact number, but... I was going to say, there's probably... The youngest among them is 90. I was going to say, there's probably some people that just can't travel. Yeah. 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 Um, and this year's reunion... I don't know when we'll air this, so it's very possible this will have come and gone by the time we air this. But it is um, July 29th, 2017, okay. in Indianapolis. Tickets are available. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe if, if I'm still if out of I work. I was going to say, if we had the extra time this year, like, I'd, I'd... I've got the time. I've never been to Indianapolis. That's another city I'd I like to... I have been. I have not. But uh, I... Uh, I don't know. Maybe if I'm still out of work by the end of the month, I should drive up to Indianapolis and uh, go meet the... Dozen or whatever survivors of the yeah. disaster. Like, hey, I did a story on you guys too. It would be amazing to interview them. 
I'm not even sure if I'd want to know. And they probably don't, or or maybe do they want to talk about it? I don't know. Do, they're don't going know. to this, oh, here's a picture I meant to show oh. you. That's the Indianapolis. Yep. This was a, hang on, a Portland cruiser? A Portland po- class Portland, heavy cruiser. Portland class mm-hmm. heavy cruiser. Mm-hmm. But isn't that, isn't that, a, I found the, the information about the captain and then the crew still reuniting, just so interesting. Yeah. And that poor captain, just... Yeah. You survive that, and you're like, I almost think it's worse what he went through afterwards. Right, yeah. He probably would have preferred to go down with the ship yeah. if that was what he was going to get accused yeah. of, yeah. Yeah, and I really wish I didn't know the little detail of him with the, the toy, toy soldier. Yeah. In the beginning of the... USS Indianapolis starring Nicolas Cage, they show him like talk like writing a letter or something and the little toy Oh toy really? So they, they reference it. They do. They reference it in the, in the uh, first five minutes. In I believe uh I believe USS Indianapolis had a ninety seven percent rating on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I do not know. Certified so that makes it what? Certified certified, cer- certified vegan? Is that what it makes it? If you're ninety seven percent? What happens if you're negative seven percent? Can that happen on a rating site? I don't know. It should. But but you know what? If it were, it can't be certified vegan because there were shark attacks in it. So that's not very vegan. That's a lot of meat eating. Well, I mean, that's what they do. It is. Yeah, that, that, yeah, that the is, sharks are not <coughs> vegan. That is that is them being vegan. They're just like, oh, I'm going to eat it. <laughs> yeah, I guess. It's like cats. Cats are not meant to be vegan. No. Some creatures can't survive that way. I mean, again, like, occasionally, like we've done a couple stories. Like the very first one we did, the station fire, I knew about it, but... I, Part of it is, you know, you just don't pay attention. It's a blurb. It's like, oh, I've heard about it. I know the basic right, details. Right. But you don't, you don't know the... Right. When you get into this You don't know stuff, the details yeah. of it. And for the most part, you don't, you never really know the fallout of Right. Well, look at the... These are the citations for this how many How many papers? Can you display them in front of the microphone, please? There was one... One, two, three, four, five, almost six pages of full... Of the story. Of the story, and then two pages of citations. Okay. And one picture. Yeah. And this will be the last thing I can print out. I'll have to figure out another <laughs> way to do it. <laughs> well, it's the last thing you printed out from where you were. My previous employer. <laughs> yes. Maybe we'll just have to break down and buy a $10 printer. Mm. <laughs> It'd be a worthwhile investment. Yeah. We, we could we, we uh, probably crowdfund could. a printer. Yeah. Can we crowdfund a crowdfund? Crowdfund? Can, can we crowdfund a printer? <laughs> can we crowdfund a printer, please? Somebody be like, here, I've just got... Like, here's an old one I've got I don't yeah, use. I've got like five of them in my closet. Right. Yeah. Oh, but it needs this ink cartridge. And you're like, right. damn it. And, th- and that costs more than the printer. Yeah. yeah. But uh, no, that's a... It's that, a fascinating one, isn't it? Poor Captain. I know. I mean, that's... That's the Charles kind of, B. McFay the third. But when people in power screw up, as we're watching now on on, <laughs> on House of Cards, right? Yeah, which is fictional, but isn't really. Um, like when people who have a certain amount of power screw up, they're not going to take the fall for that. Nope. Somebody is, but it's, it's not. Nope. And it's and unfortunately, it's poor bastards like this guy. Yeah. Who survived almost four days on the ocean. In, in in the middle of the Pacific, in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. 
with his crew, with yeah. his crew, watching it, like half watching of his crew die. die. So here's or the go thing. Insane. Here's the here's the so about twelve hundred crew members, right? A quarter of them, three hundred, went down with the ship. Yeah. A quarter of them, about three hundred, survived. Half of them died in the water. In the water, yeah. yeah. So he watched half of his crew die. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, and there yeah. was nothing he could do about and it. And he got blamed for it. Yes. That's yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a that's a that's probably the saddest fallout we've possibly had so far. Yeah, it's a bad one. And I'm not a you know I'm not a religious person. I don't think that like anybody can hear us or see us like from heaven or anything. But I do think there's a certain matter of like, you know, like a sort of, I don't know, rest in peace kind of idea about just like, you know, it's super sad that didn't happen while he was alive, but you know, his memory is honored a lot more now because of the fact that he was exonerated and it's just like, nope. You, you didn't do anything wrong and we and we get that now sorry that it happened after we drove you to suicide right yeah to take your uh, service issued pistol and uh, use it on yourself yeah yeah but that's with your little toy sailor yeah that's yeah. that's sad it's but, really sad but again happy what 30 uh, some years later yeah using yeah, yeah yeah happier yeah yeah so well, that was uh, that was our first uh, shipwreck as well. Yeah, I think so. First so. sinking. There's many of them to come. Oh, yes. Yes, there are. <laughs> There's a lot of them. There's a whole series of beer named after shipwrecks. <laughs> the oh, ones that we... yeah. Great Lakes? Yes. They're not all named after um, shipwrecks, though. Two of them were. Edmund Fitzgerald and what else? Something else. Anyway. <laughs> just, just, just work with me. We will do the Edmund Fitzgerald one of these days. One of these days. Maybe one. Oh, speaking of beer, my beer of the night is... Bolo Coconut Brown, or Coconut Brown Bolo, mm-hmm. by Burial in Asheville. Yes. Excellent brewery. Yes, very good. If, if, you're, ever, very uh, good if you're ever in Asheville, there's so many breweries there, but I specifically recommend this one. I saw the, because um, you were just there. I was. Uh, for your bachelor party. Yes. Weekend, and uh, I saw the picture Chad put up of you guys in front of their mural, with the, was it Tom Selleck and oh, yes. some weirdo? Tom, what is Tom, that from? Tom Selleck and Sloth. What is that from? Sloth is from the greatest movie you've never seen, which would be The Goonies. Oh, okay. Was Tom Selleck in The Goonies? He was not. So it was just a random pairing. They were both icons at like the same time. Oh, I gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Sloth was played by like a former like NFL player. Did he look like that? No, it was all, no. It was all prosthetic. It was all makeup. Well, no, 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 I mean, in the movie, did he look like that? Like he did on the mural? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I like how you're pointing. Like I don't like that. The mural, <laughs> on the mural right, over right there. Over here. We're live in Asheville right <laughs> yes. now, right outside of Burial. Hey, <laughs> I would be so open to doing a live podcast at Burial. That would be freaking awesome. Anywhere in Asheville, for sure. But yeah, Anywhere bur- here. Burial. Yeah. yeah. Sure. It would be really fun. Especially a brewery where they just give us free beer. I'm not going to mention what I'm drinking. No. Because they could sue us. Well, I'm just kidding. Oh, no, nobody. You still haven't given me the signal when I'm supposed to play along. Uh, I'm sorry. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, you don't want to drink it unless you're me. I had one last night. (laughs) I'm probably going to have one because this is my only beer that I've got tonight. Oh, is it really? Mm -hmm. Well, you can have one of my uh, other crafties that's in there. I think I've got one left. 
Oh, well, we'll see. Okay. But um, we'll, we'll mention, even though I might just cut it out because it won't be timely, but uh, this is our last podcast as unmarried people. It is. I don't know if we... We actually have not mentioned... We've probably alluded to the fact that we live together. People have probably picked up on it. Yeah. But we're actually... Our next podcast, we will be officially married. Yes, we will. Legally married. We're getting married in two days, so... And now, now, our entire podcast won't even premiere until well after we're married. But still, we're, uh, we'll uh, be looking forward to podcasting as married people. As a married couple. That's still so weird. As a, as a legitimate couple. Legitimate couple. <laughs> our cats will no longer be illegitimate cats. We're making honest, you're making an honest woman of me, whatever the yes. hell that means. Uh, I don't like you honest. You don't like what? Uh, I, was, I was joking. <laughs> like again, I, I'll I'll try to do. I'll just try to. I'll just try to do this motion all the time. <laughs> the finger gun. Like like just the. No, the, the guy, the guy oh. who the guy who signals that it's a good field goal. I think that's what it's called. In rugby or whatever. No, Australian rules. Football. Oh, Australian rules. Those are two football. different things. Like you were doing when you were a boy. Yes. And what's my cue? Am I just supposed to laugh then, or play along, or just not say anything? I'll let you figure that out. Okay. I think that's where the problem is. Yeah. <laughs> Communication breakdown. Yes. It's always the same. Communication <laughs> breakdown. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, again, excellent episode. That was <laughs> glad some, you approved. Yeah. Well, it was something I just didn't didn't know the details about, and it was uh, yeah. very interesting and, and very sad, unfortunately. Yes. It would, but with a, a tinge of happiness at the very end. Exoneration. A tinge. Exoneration, at least. Yeah. Yes. So. so that that was the sinking of the USS Indianapolis. Yes, and this has been all bad things. I'm David. I'm Rachel. We'll see you next week.